1962, the invasion of Normandy and the terrible events of the Second World War were still a part of vivid living memory. But somehow, movie audiences were ready for the epic docudrama The Longest Day. Based on the book by Cornelius Ryan and packed with stars like John Wayne, Robert Mitchum, and Eddie Albert, this film became the biggest black and white film of all time. Following the stories of individuals at every level of the chain of command, this film roams everywhere from Omaha Beach to St. Marigliese, giving an epic scale to the story of D-Day. The RAF saw fit to drop tankards of Newcastle Brown Ale to the troops, so we thought we'd hunker down in our foxholes with a few bottles and revisit this 60-year-old war movie. It's time for episode 58 of Toasting the Classics, The Longest Day. Uh, welcome to Toasting the Classics. This is the podcast where we take something people call a classic, drink something related to classic, and then decide whether it's still a classic. What are we uh, passing judgment on this week, Clint? Uh, the 1962 film called The Longest Day. Yes, yeah, 62 is what I have written down. So, Yep, The Longest Day. Uh, released in 1962. It was a big old blockbuster black and white drama about the uh, D-Day landings. Really interesting movie. I mean, I, I, I've seen it many, many times. You know, I made this choice when it was close to June, closer to June 6th than it is now. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. You know, and I'd seen this many, many times. I, it's, it's, I think it's a wonderful movie. I've always really enjoyed it. Just some basic facts. It stars pretty much everybody in the world at the time. Sure does. In 1962, so you got like John Wayne, Sean Connery, you got Peter Lawford, you've got, you know, you name it, uh, they're, they're in it. This is one of the few times where an ensemble cast, whenever I think of that, I always yeah. think the movie's not going to be good. Like usually right. a movie's kind of thrown together and crappy, but this one, it's effective. Like there's a whole, there's just a whole bunch of really great actors in it and a whole right. bunch of famous people. There's one that kind of sticks out and themes, seems kind of thrown into the movie. Mm -hmm. And that's part of my biggest surprise. So I'm not going to talk about it just yet, but there okay. is one of the really huge actors in this that I was like, what, what was that guy doing there? What was that guy doing? <laughs> in right, right. Yeah, there were, a few, there were a few like that. We did Patton, so it was hard to, to see Omar Bradley without a big schnoz. Who was Omar Bradley in this one? I, I saw him in the in the cast of characters at the end, but I was like, did, he was, did I see? I, it, it was the scene where they're standing on the battleship, and he's got like a leather kind of field jacket on, and he's got his glasses, and they're telling him about the landings. and okay. It's just like it's like one really simple part. I think they just show Bradley kind of once in the in the entire movie. But yeah, so it's got this huge cast of characters. Uh, something else that's really cool about this movie is they had three different directors, four different directors. They had English, French, British, and German. So they had a director for each of the kind of subplots or parts that were going on. If you think of Normandy, the Normandy invasion is this big kind of like all these gears moving. One gear would be the uh, the Americans and they're getting, you know, Utah and, and Omaha. And then you've got You've got the British and they're doing sword and Juno, but the, you know, and then both sides have, have paratroopers. And then you've got the French, the French paratroopers plus the free French. And then you've got the Germans and these are all like gears moving. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was a brilliant idea. Zanuck, I think is the name of the, like the main director. He said, okay, we're going to have a director for each of these gears. So there's a director just for the German sequences, a director just for the French. And, and so they could shoot it all simultaneously. They didn't have to worry about, trying to do it sequentially or something. They taught, they, they shot it sequentially. And then they, I think each of the directors, I know the German director was a German. And so they knew, they knew the story. They knew the German actors. They used German actors. 
And that was the other thing is like each of the sides spoke their language. So the French spoke French and they had subtitles. The British spoke British English. They should have had subtitles sometimes, but they didn't. And then the, <laughs> uh, Ger- then the Germans spoke German and had subtitles. So it was really cool. It was a really neat way to do it. I think this is the only time they've ever, anybody's ever really kind of done that. They normally have them speak English kind of throughout. I, I like it when they use the, the natural languages for people. They didn't even uh, translate everything in my version. Like the subtitles didn't always translate what was going on in the other language. Right. This one, yeah, it was just a few throwaway lines that wouldn't be translated. All the German stuff dialogue was especially, I mean, that was a really, I think, extensive dialogue that was not in English. It was it was all the German stuff. And the only the only pain in the butt that really was that you couldn't really walk away. It's not like you go do the dishes and listen to no. it because <laughs> because you have to sit there and read the subtitles. And what are they saying? Unless you speak German, which I don't. So no. Anyway, for me, my German is at the level where if there's subtitles, I can uh-huh. follow it and I can look at it and I can be like, oh, they did or did not translate what the guy said. Like I can match up. I'm like, no, that's not what that guy said. Like I, right. I don't, I, I couldn't write down the, the translation of what he did say, but I know it wasn't mm-hmm. that. I remember in a Die Hard, I don't know, one of the Die Hard movies, the Germans are saying something and they translated. I'm like, they rewrote that at some point because that is totally <laughs> not what that guy said. And it like changed the whole plan of what the Germans were planning on doing. You said you've seen this a bunch of times. I know for you, a lot of people have like a comfort show. And I know you mm-hmm. said Band of Brothers is like your comfort show. You've watched yeah. it like a million times, right? Right. So how, how how often do you watch this one? Is it like that? Is it like something you watch? Um, you know, I, yeah, I don't own it. If it comes on, uh, you know, it, back in the days when we watched TV, it wasn't streaming. Right. Like when it was on, when we'd have AMC or Turner Classic Movie or something like that, it would come on. And I would watch it. I mean, if it, if it was on when I was flipping through, I'd turn it on and watch it. There used to be a thing where you'd, you'd turn on the TV and there'd be a movie on and you'd be like, oh, this is a movie I really like. It's two thirds yeah. of the way through. I'll just watch this. Nowadays, if you're watching a movie, you can't just blame it on it was on TV. Like you, you, went to, out of your- you search. By the way, I found this on streaming for free on YouTube is where it's it streams oh, for free. Okay. Um, I, watched, so, I actually I, I just rented it for three ninety nine yeah. on Prime. Actually, they gave me yeah. a discount for I think it was like I, I just 50. I just trying to find it. Just searched longest day free. I said, you know, surely it'll be out there yeah. somewhere. And YouTube had it. And there's another That's fantastic movie. So the guy that wrote this, his name was Ryan, wrote the book. Cornelius Ryan. Ryan. Um, I read. Uh, I was trying to remember while I was watching this uh-huh. because this movie is very similar to A Bridge Too Far. Yes, he uh, wrote that too. He wrote that book. I read okay. that book. I, I know I read that one. I don't mm-hmm. know if I ever read the Longest Day. I read uh, John Keegan did a six 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 armies at normandy or something like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, book and i read that and i've read a couple of normandy accounts but i don't know if i've ever actually read the longest day but i i did read yeah. a bridge too far and it was you know it was like the same not john keegan that's not the who's the guy that wrote band of brothers stephen ambrose ambrose yeah ambrose Stephen yeah. Ambrose is the one I'm thinking of. john keegan's a completely different a bridge too far it's about operation market garden and um it's also another big ensemble cast of characters where they have the Germans, they have the English, they have the, the, the Americans, and you have Sean Connery in that one. You have Rob, I think you have Rob, like Robert Redford, you have uh, Robert Duvall, you have Elliot Gould, you have uh, Elliot Gould. Uh, Elliot Gould being in it? Um, I, I don't remember who else is, but it's a ton, uh, who, a ton of Who played, uh, Gene Hackman's in it, he plays the Polish general that uh, gets gets a short shrift. Plays a great Polish general, by the way. The guy that plays uh, Sonny Corleone. I can't remember that actor's name um, in The Godfather. Yeah, uh, Khan. Yeah, he's in it. So it's just this huge, again, and they play these 
like little five minute vignettes. So there, there's no real leading man. Sean Connery probably arguably it's kind of like the John Wayne version. He's kind of he's kind of in it. He's he's the most prominent perhaps throughout it. Yeah, um, I think John Wayne. It's either John Wayne and probably Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum. I think yeah. two, are the two big ones in this. I, I think they're the closest to. I think Robert Mitchum is probably the one that carries through the whole film because John Wayne. He's yeah, he's in it a lot. I, I I don't know. It's hard to decide which one is the yeah. which one is the main actor. Maybe it's Eddie Albert. I don't know, but he's, yeah. he's prominent. <laughs> right. I was watching so many times. I was watching this, and I was like, I was like, now who is that guy? Like Eddie Albert. I was watching that. And I was like, it's like who the heck is that guy? I know that uh, guy from something. I, I, it took me a while to be like, oh, it's Green Acres. Green Acres, to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That used to be on in syndication when I was a kid, so I was yeah. kind of familiar of that sh with that show yeah they all make an appearance i think in 1962 like not all of these actors kind of carried through like like that guy for example you know green acres guy in 1962 you would have recognized him and been like oh yeah i know who that is right now it's like you know, you know oh you mean like today today some right. of these people have it took me a second roddy mcdowell's in it right it was like i recognized his face and i was like i was like okay i can tell from the way they're filming him and the way he's talking that he's supposed to be somebody making a cameo and i right. recognized the heck out of his face but i was like what the what is he from and who is he? <laughs> yeah well, again he was just the 60s but you had richard burton yeah richard you know? burton is richard burton is uh probably somebody that i don't think is on the rate he's not on the radar for a lot of people not anymore but he was he was one of the biggest actors in the world, married to uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Taylor, I think. Right? Yeah, that's that's um, I think what I know when I think Richard Burton, I think of him and Elizabeth Taylor being right. a big thing. I don't even really so much know. I know he did some. I know he did a bunch of Shakespeare. That's kind of what I think yeah. of him as being famous. Yeah, for. he was a classical, classically trained right. actor. You know the uh, the other story, uh, Richard Todd. Did you know who that was? No, so I can't think Richard, of Richard Richard Todd plays the. The major who's who's told to take the bridge, stay until relieved, oh, hold yeah. until relieved, or whatever. So that's Richard Todd. He's a huge actor, but again, we don't we don't have any idea who he is. And he was a huge actor in the '60s, I think, up through the '70s, and then just kind of fell off the radar. Yeah, I don't recognize. Him. I'm I'm looking at him. I looked him up, and I'm looking at his picture. I don't recognize him from anything. He's a good looking dude. Well, he's he's he was in oh. a bunch of bunch of big movies but it's it was they're all movies from the 60s that you know hold until relieved hold, hold until relieved <laughs> yeah that guy's got a big complex going on if he's hearing voices like that that's an odd choice in the middle of a it'd world be fun to follow him around and like you know my mother said once and then have this voice of his mom come out of nowhere <laughs> and said eat your broccoli eat your or broccoli or something or a tim or a tim standing in front of the urinal and <laughs> and yeah, right old until relieved a couple of cool pieces of trivia kurd jurgens is in this movie Let's now is see. that who i think it is is that the german that i think it is because one german shows up in a very small role and i was like wait a minute i know that chubby guy from something yeah he's riding the bike okay yeah, uh, yeah. so he's riding the bike and then carl stromberg is uh, is one of the generals uh, he played. Um, I know see. there's like more. There's more than one Bond villain in this movie, right? That, yeah, those are the two. Goldfinger shows up like really early on. He's very distinctive. And I was thinking, when isn't Goldfinger like the same year? Gert Frobe is a Sergeant Coffee Con. Yeah, Sergeant Coffee Con. Coffee Con. Yeah. And he plays he plays Goldfinger. Kurd Jurgens plays General Gunther Blementritt. He was the guy that he played Carl Stromberg in The Spy Who Loved Me. So two Bond villains. 
And then yeah. Sean Connery, of course, storming the beach. Yeah, definitely. Although they don't really have to storm much of the beach, the British. It's a little bit easier coming on. Coming yeah, on they, kind of, they kind of walk, walk onto the beach. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, um, oh, the Yanks are pinned up. They're not doing their job. You know, right, while right. You know, nice sunny weather and they're moseying ashore, but whatever. I was uh, impressed by, you know, uh, after reading it, I was always impressed by the movie itself, but I was particularly impressed after reading the history that it, how, you know, uh, historically accurate it is. San Marigliese as, as the uh, point of attack for the 82nd and why they had to go there because of the, that, that German um, cannons, you know, that, that they needed to take out there. And uh, right. you know, I mean, just, just all the tactical stuff was, was very historically accurate. And I thought that was kind of. I don't dumb it down for you or anything like that. Yeah. It's definitely like plenty to, plenty to follow there, which is always, it seems strange to me that it could have been so popular. I think there used to be a market for like, guys war movies like they used to put out a movie and it was just like oh you just count on a bunch of nerdy guys and you know, a bunch of guys are going to go and want to watch these military movies i don't remember though i haven't seen a movie like that like i don't know when did they do that hunt for red october things like that maybe top gun back but those perhaps top, top gun maverick maybe top gun. yeah see i haven't seen that so i don't know what that's like now everybody a whole bunch of people went to see it and it's kind of surprising mm -hmm. to me like i mm -hmm. when i heard about that i was like i'm not interested in that at all like what yeah. like what what happening to Maverick 40 years later is not yeah. interesting. I will say it's fun. It's it's completely inaccurate, complete bogus. Oh. Uh, never okay. talk to okay. it. Uh, talk about it with somebody in the Air Force because they'll be like, oh, whatever. You know, this could never happen. But it's a fun uh, movie. I mean, it's it's reminiscent of like the F Iron Eagle, you know, all the all the dogfight oh. movies from the yeah. 80s, but with current technology and it was all like it's all it's not really none of it's cgi it's actual real fighters in the sky and everything else and it's it's pretty it is pretty impressive it's a it's just a fun movie i think i think that's why people enjoy it so much because it's just it takes no brains to watch it you can sit there comatose you know drinking your yeah. slush eating your popcorn and not have to think you know and then you're not you're not being bombarded by any political messages one way or the other really it's not like you know, Reagan was the best, but it's also not like my two moms. Now, what's funny is that, you know, a lot of criticism about this movie was that it's too much of a documentary, yeah, which, I found, I which, which I found interesting is, I guess, critics of the time expected, because now like Black Hawk Down, you know, it's a gripping story, but it, it really Scott, Yeah. So he even said it's the closest thing that he's ever, you know, made uh, to a documentary. Right. And it right. followed it. And if you think about it, it's kind of the same thing. It follows the stories of each of these guys, like that, yeah. like that. The generals were real, the majors were real, all those people were real. What happened right. to him? You know, he follows it and he, and he doc, sort of documents it. So it's a reenactment rather than a documentary. I think that one, it didn't win Best Picture, but I think it came close. I think it might have been nominated and stuff like that. But I don't think they that in that time, like in 1962, I think they were. I think they wanted like big epics, right? Like big big, bold kind of stories. Like, I think Lawrence yes. of Arabia was probably of that age. Lawrence of Arabia was like almost the same time, maybe like yeah. 1961, something like that. Right. Uh, Cleopatra, Cleopatra was Cleopatra. in the while yeah. this was going on. The John Wayne was in that Genghis Khan movie, <laughs> terrible, where he's wearing... That's like a great a movie. Oh, my gosh. That's a, <laughs> Cultural appropriation, that's what? Yeah. I'm yeah. going to get my it's eyebrows just, just cultural appropriation. It's like... <laughs> Oh, that, that's, that one's well, I'm bad. going to get con, mister. Duh, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, huh? Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs>
That was sort so. of a vestige. When I was a kid, people were still doing John Wayne impressions. And I honestly, to me, this is about the only movie I've ever seen with John Wayne in it. I don't think I've ever watched John Wayne movies. I don't, Interesting. I don't know. I'm sure that's not true. My dad was a big fan. I'm mm-hmm. sure I must have seen one or two of his westerns. Oh, well, True Grit. Saw True, yeah, Grit. True Grit. But I don't, all the big bulk of, you know, I think he's in all these John Ford movies, you know, and I just never saw any of those. Like, that just wasn't something well, that was on the radar. The thing like, about uh, most of them was if, you, if you'd seen one, you really had seen most of the rest of them, especially with the John Ford stuff, you know? That's the thing. You don't go back and watch stuff like that, you know? Like, no, uh, you really don't. My, uh, you know, my in-laws, they're in their 80s. They do still watch TV. Like, they have cable. And, uh-huh. and there's, a, there's a particular channel. I think it's called INSP. And it shows nothing but Western. So it's like Gunsmoke. During the day, it's like, it's like Gunsmoke, yeah, yeah. The Rifleman, on and on. And then you know, on the weekends, it's like John Wayne all weekend long, right? And right. Uh, I had never really, until just the past few years when they started watching this, this channel, I'd never really you know, watched it. They, they watch it because they, you know, they reminisce. I mean, my, my, my father-in-law especially, like really likes to watch it. And oh, you know, because that's when he was a kid, you know, he was 30s or 40s probably or 20s maybe when those came out so it it, it fond memories of the time uh, for him so yeah, my, my stepdad used to i don't know if it's the same channel but he used to watch some on cable that was like yeah lone ranger gunsmoke a whole bunch of stuff like that hey are you uh, i know you've got a, a medical emergency going on right now but are you uh, having a, a drink <laughs> yeah i can I'll, i'm gonna open up a drink i'll survive right. I'm, right. I, I'm hoping i'm assuming i'm kind of through the worst of it Hey, you know what I just realized? I've been carrying around a bottle opener on my keychain for years, and it is a Newcastle bottle opener. Oh, really? I even really- yeah, I've had, it, I've had it on there for like 15 years. Right. So that is what we're drinking, so, is uh, Newcastle. I guess I gave it away. Yeah, wh- why did you go with Newcastle? This was your choice. Well, I mean, I think the only uh, drinking scene we have is uh, is uh, Richard Burton. And, yeah, uh, that's right. RAF uh, pilot having a having a brown ale and it's a, a an english brown ale presumably a warm brown ale right? a warm a warm hand-drawn brown ale yeah. so it, it'd be it'd have very few bubbles and it would be about uh, probably about 60 degrees something like that there is some mention of champagne and there is some mention mm-hmm. of cognac and i was afraid you were going to go with cognac again because we did that for Patton. yeah well Patton, Patton. champagne, champagne <laughs> comes up all the time in these right. in these film things but well, Patton was much more it was much more pronounced. I mean, there was actually a scene around yes. particular cognacs that, that you got. No, no, it was uh, the same thing. This is this one was the same thing. The German had the, the really nice bottle of cognac, the Napoleon. Oh right, right, right. Had, yeah. It was like, he was like, um, oh, you know, he's about to get basically lose the war. He's like, well, we yeah. just lost the war. Go get that nice cognac. Yeah. And open up. It's, well, that the I occasion. Thought, of- I, I had thought of that, but I didn't have fifteen hundred dollars to drop on a bottle of, right. of cognac. Yeah. So. Um, well, you're a slacker. You're a slacker. As yeah. Sure. Well, the other reason is, uh, and this is a true story. Uh, D-Day invasion happened June 6, 1944. Yep. On June, I believe it was June 7th, the RAF filled drop tanks for Spitfires with Newcastle beer and flew them okay. across the channel to, 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 to serve the lads a beer after okay. the D-Day invasion. So true story. I always thought that was really cool that they actually wow. took uh, they actually took drop tanks 
you know, filled them with beer and flew them across the channel for their, uh, for their troops. I thought that was really cool. It was Newcastle in particular. So I always thought that was kind of, kind of neat. So well, a little odd, a little odd to Newcastle. Um, that is a, that is a perfect reason to have Newcastle for the show. I love right. that. That's a great, great backstory. You know, speaking of flying things over the channel during D-Day, uh-huh. before I forget about this, you know, my grandfather was actually, um, was in army at the time of the Normandy invasion, but he was in, he was not, he was not in one of the first divisions at the beach, but, but he was back in England with his division and he was a photographer. So somebody was like, somebody was like, Hey, uh, we're just flying planes back and forth to make it look like there's more planes supporting the invasion. So do you want to like ride along? And so he was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, can I bring my camera? And they were like, sure. So he flew over the invasion zone taking pictures like during the battle. And wow. I was like, oh my goodness. On one hand, on one hand, that's amazing to be around history. And I right. guarantee I would have made the same stupid decision. But right. that's so dangerous yeah, right. to fly over. I guarantee the Germans are shooting at everything. Like they're definitely yeah, not, absolutely. you know, if you're close enough to take a picture, you're within range. Right. Of, right. Uh, who knows what? But well, that was so. definitely definitely a different time, man. I, I remember I, I have a friend who's uh, here in town ta- here in, in, in Las Cruces, and uh, he's a he's a pilot, and uh-huh. he had a 1948 Cessna 140, I think it was 140 okay. or 142, but it was a 1948 uh, model, and he invited me up to go flying in this little thing. Um, I was like, sure, and uh, it's what they call a tail dragger, so it's one of those that has a as the landing gear at the back as well, you know, just which is what all of those planes were at the time. Is that a um, tail farmer? Tail, tail dragger. Tail dragger. Tail so it has, yeah. So and it's a special license to be able to fly those because it's really kind of hard to take off and land with those. But that's how all those airplanes were back then. They all had that rear landing gear. Um, anyway, so we go up in it. And this thing is like, it's like flying in a matchbox. I mean, it's super thin. It's super loud. All of the instruments are analog in this thing. Uh, everything's run by cables, you know, and pulleys and stuff like that. And so I was a little bit apprehensive doing this, but I, I kept telling myself that we won the war <laughs> with this technology. So yeah. by God, if it was good enough to win the war, then, you know, then I, I think it'll get me up and back down again. And crashes, it did. It, crashes were really common. In yes, War. they were. Yeah, they were. Yeah, it, was, it was really dangerous. Like. <laughs> It was, and not, it was not like today when you, you know, fly no. across the ocean and you, you, you know, you assume you're going to get to England alive. Right, right. Well, was, he, uh, he sent, he sent, sold that airplane, bought a much newer one. That, that, that one uh-huh. just, it's kind of like driving, like I have an, I have a 1976 Chevy pickup that I've gotten since you left. And, or maybe, no, yeah, since, since you left. Oh, okay. And I drove, I drove that thing back down from Carlsbad, New Mexico here. So it's about three hours. And uh-huh. I was so tired when I got here. I was so beat up from just trying to keep it straight. Oh, you know, it wants to go all over the place. Plus, the suspension just beats you up. I mean, I was just worn out, and yeah. I think it, it's like that for this plane that he was flying. You know, he would fly it. We would fly around for an hour or something, get down, and his and his arms are just so tired from holding the 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 yeah. uh, you know the the wheel the wheel where it's you know everything where it's supposed to be, and and uh, there's so many things you have to pay attention to. Uh, and the new one is, is, is so much more, you know, smoother and easier. It's like driving a, a much newer car that has cruise control, you know, it, oh, yeah. it just doesn't hurt as much. So cruise control, automatic transmission, power brakes and all yeah. kinds of stuff. Yeah. Everything suspension that actually works. <laughs> it keeps you on the road. Exactly. So 
did you have okay so did you watch war movies when you were a kid oh yes oh yes yeah. my dad was a big war movie guy so i watched did you have um, a favorite one that's a really good question i actually did enjoy this one as a kid i remember this movie this probably would have been one of my favorite black and white movies because even though i watched plenty of black and white movies i had a little bit of an aversion to sitting through them to some extent it was hard. sure yeah um but uh this was this was one of my favorite war movies that i watched and it, it you know it was actually i think at the time might have been the biggest black and white movie box office wise ever when this movie huh. came out uh -huh. I, that's not that's not true today oddly enough right. even though it's 1962 because a movie like schindler's list right because it was released in 1993 right made you know 10 times as much money as this right. i don't know i did i couldn't find i was actually looking for a list of adjusted for you know adjusted for inflation dollars for black and white uh -huh. movies this one would uh -huh. pretty sure be one of the top movies of all time because there were it was all like the artist, you know, the last picture show. Yeah. It, was all, it was all things released later as a novelty right. act, black and white. But Raging Bull, things like Raging that. Bull. Yeah, yeah exactly. Was, well, yeah, this actually, I did. I did read that bit, and so this one was the largest grossing black and white movie ever made until Schindler's List. Okay. Oh, until so, Schindler's List. Yeah. So right. Schindler's List is is the only thing that beat this thing out, and that was nineteen what ninety nine maybe or seven or eight or. 93, I think. 93, okay. So, uh, yeah, so it held up for a long time, you know. And something else that's interesting to, to think about, and I've thought about this often about a lot of those war movies, because a lot of them came out in the 50s. You know, we were only, when this one came out, we were, what, 18 years removed? Yeah. You know, 17 years removed from the end of, of World War II. So this would have been, yeah, 18 years from the date of the Normandy invasion, this thing came out. Right. 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 So, um, that's like not too. That's that not too long ago. Like something that happened in two thousand four. Be, be like a movie yeah. about Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, exactly. Out. Yeah, It'd be about or, you know, like I could sit here and tell you what it was like to be in Hurricane Katrina, and there could be children watching a movie about it in the right. theater. You know, well, I always think about that. Because one of the things they always do in these movies that were made within the within the memory uh -huh. of the thing is the Germans are never portrayed like. Schindler's List is a good example. The difference between the way the Germans are portrayed in Indiana Jones and Schindler's List. Now, of course, that's one director doing it, and he may have his reasons for doing this, but the Germans are portrayed as like evil monsters right. in those movies. And in these, they're just they're just the enemy. They're just the right. other team in the war, you know? And I was thinking about right. that. Obviously, Steven Spielberg is Jewish and has a whole different perspective on World War II and just right. probably trouble seeing them as being human beings and that's that's all fine and good i get that mm -hmm. but the people that lived through the war i don't know whether they at the time saw the germans as being more benign as just being like the enemy or whether it's mm -hmm. because they were our allies in the cold war mm -hmm. that we started portraying them you know like you do the longest day how bad can you make the germans because if you get in a yeah. war with the russians you're, you're relying on the germans to fight the right. war for you sure so they can you can't make them that evil so I always well, wonder what's what's going on. There. You mentioned Ambrose. Um, so in, that, in Ambrose's book um, about Easy Company, which is what Band of Brothers is based off of, um, uh -huh. he, he, he says in there that, that the American troops identified more with the Germans than yeah. with any of their allies. Like the British were cocky and stuck up. The French uh, thought they knew everything. The French were the French, in other words. 
But the right. Germans were just like a normal working people, you know, blue collar type of people. And they got along really well with the Germans. Now, the German peasants, or not peasants, but the citizenry, right? The, the farmers and just the people doing not their the, thing. Not the Prussian aristocrats. Right, right. Of, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I, but, remember, I don't know if it was Stephen Ambrose or not, but one of those authors, um, I, re- I always remember this one quote he had, which was, American soldiers would contact German soldiers and like universally the response would be like, this is terrible. Why are we fighting this war? These are regular people just like me and you. Like, it's, yeah. I don't want to kill these people. And they would meet the Japanese. And it was like the more contact they had with the Japanese, the more they, the more they hated them. them. Yeah, the more they hated because, them. Yeah. Because of the way the Japanese, I think yeah, some, some people just say that's racism. But if that were the case, they probably would have felt like that before they met them. And then meeting them would have changed it yeah. in a positive I think it actually had to do with the way the Japanese were conducting the war. I think the Japanese were fighting in ways that were just completely uh, like antithetical to the way right. Westerners fight the war. They were they were killing prisoners. They were yeah, you know, like using uh, what 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 like um, you know, insurgent style tactics, setting off bombs and things like that, shooting from behind. You know, so well, I mean, the, I the, the 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 people forget that the Japanese themselves, the, the Imperial Japanese Army was very racist <laughs> itself they they yes. they considered themselves uh superior to every other race and they, they considered us subhuman so as bad yes. as we made them look they made koreans and chinese and and you know uh and caucasians look as bad as well and had no yeah. qualms about killing any of them because they considered them you know inferior i mean Anyway, I mean, we can go on and on. The rape of Dan King and all the rest of that, you know, kind of speaks yeah. to speaks to their their. Are you saying that there's a lot to say about the Second World War? I'm saying like, it's a yeah. I'm saying it's more like complicated than like yeah. I'm topic, saying it's more yeah. yeah. Critical race theory kind of falls apart when you get when you get something as big and complicated as that. You know, critical race theory would would certainly have interesting things to say about the Second World War, especially. Well, those, especially well I think it well, would be. Not just in the I, Pacific. I think it would be a little bit. I think it's too simplistic. Yeah. But in, in, in any case, um, I think that's a really good point, though. And I think I don't know. Did they draw a distinction? And it could be fair or unfair today, as we speak, which is I don't know when this is being released, but June twenty eighth, twenty twenty two. They just sentenced a one hundred and one year old German ex concentration camp guard to like life in prison, which will probably be like a year and a half, right? If that, right? We, but we didn't just pick up like a normal infantryman and charge, you know, and send him to prison for life. So we, we always drew a distinction between regular army and the SS, right? The SS like knew what was going on. They knew what they were doing. And oftentimes, and and you could argue what, all you yeah, want about on, it, but it depends on what they were, you know. I mean, some some SS divisions were just like, you know, politically, you had to have political connections, so you were a Nazi. But right. in terms of, you know, if you were in the SS Panzer Division, that didn't necessarily, you didn't really have anything to do with concentration camps and stuff like that. Right. Not, I, I mean, and that's that's fine. All I'm saying is that we do draw a distinction between SS and regular yeah. army. You know, yeah, for good reason. For good reason. Yeah. There's the, the average Wehrmacht not necessarily. Um, particularly interested in the politics of the war at all right just what the hell are you gonna and, do and gonna... schindler's list was all about the gestapo right and the ss and and uh as was you know inglorious bastards same thing you know when you have all these depictions of real scumbags it's always going to be the gestapo and ss 
Although yeah. you're right, Indiana Jones, all of them are lumped into one big you know, criminal enterprise. Well, I think we talked, we talked about this when we did Raiders. I mean, Indiana yeah. Jones, like 1936, right? Raiders of Lost yeah. Ark, and they already have like units of the German army that didn't exist didn't exist right. at that time. Right. So that the, but it's convenient. Yeah, it's convenient. convenient. Yeah, it makes, makes for makes for the that story, right? Yes. Did um, absolutely. so? Did you do you remember? So I grew up in the seventies. I had like the late seventies, and then early parts of the eighties. We still had like reruns, black and white reruns of shows that were on maybe in the fifties and sixties, right? And um, there were show. There were like World War II based series. I think one was called Combat. I know Hogan's Heroes. That was on. Yeah, the, the, yeah, that's a yeah, yeah, a situation comedy in a in a prisoner yeah. war camp. That's kind of funny. So you had like combat. There was one called the Desert Rats or something like that, which is based on the African campaign, which is kind of in you know unique in that nothing ever really gets talked about when it comes to Africa. I think I, I could have sworn there might maybe a couple more, but well, there were a bunch was, of uh, fighter pilot shows. I think yeah, for a while oh yeah after. yeah. Series about fighter pilots in World War II and yeah, stuff like there's that. There's one. There's really one called uh, There's Pappy Bowington's group, uh, the the Black Sheep Squadron is what they called it, which is based on this guy named Pappy Bowington, who was a fighter ace in the Marine Corps, flew in the Pacific Theater, and uh, the guy was just basically a drunk. And so, what better guy to make a make a TV show about than a drunk? Then it got then things changed. So World War II was a raw raw theme, and yeah. then the Korean War happened. And that messed up everything. I don't, uh, other than MASH, I can't think of any Korean War based old movies. There are, uh, there are, there are quite a few Korean War movies from the time period, but they uh, tend to be B movies. There's things like uh, The Steel Helmet and stuff like that. There's movies about like The Steel What? I'm sorry, you broke up. The Steel Helmet. Oh, okay. Uh, which was a movie about the Korean War. That's one of the most famous ones. That's actually got a little Korean kid named short round which is where indiana jones gets the name really? of his How interesting sidekick, yeah later on but there are movies about the korean war but they were basically during the war and they were they were like rah-rah propaganda pieces you know ah, how interesting yeah, actually I had no idea. there's actually one of the biggest war movies of all time just came out last year and it's a chinese version of the battle of chosen reservoir with the oh, americans wow. as, the as a like bad guy America. yeah it's this huge propaganda piece that everybody loves in china it's of made, course, yeah, you know, yeah, million dollars, but yeah. it's garbage, <laughs> you know. Yeah, right, right. Garbage, but so it's definitely it's definitely prominent. But um, in terms of in terms of being on the right side, I feel like we were pretty clearly on the right side in Korea, but it just didn't go as well. I guess is what yeah. people don't talk. About. Yeah, so, that was the first kind of stalemate or test of yeah. our metal, I guess. And then what's interesting is you had a lot of movies come out about Vietnam, uh-huh. and it was accepted that. The movies were always downers. There was never a raw, raw movie about Vietnam. Well, let me take that back. There were. The movie, there were things like the movies the that, the movies, that la- the movies that lasted that have a legacy, right? Are are not the raw, raw films. So like Apocalypse Now, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, um, things like that. A Hamburger Hill. Gonna, that's one thing I was going to say about. I was thinking about this when you were talking about the historical accuracy of how the Normandy or especially Omaha beach is portrayed here. Uh-huh. And I was thinking like these movies themselves create the historical memory for the thing, well, right? They true. create, like, I mean, it's a huge part of people's perception of what happened in the yeah. past. Right. So when you were saying it's very historically accurate, I was like, I don't even know how to get past my images of saving private Ryan 
and this yeah, movie yeah. to try and assess what I've been to, I've been to Omaha Beach and it does look right. So I can say that at least, but it's such a big part of how I picture the conflict that I have trouble. Sure. No. The, big, or the big red one, the big red one has a really extensive Omaha beach sequence yeah, also. That, and that's another great movie too. Yeah. Yeah. That one's, that one's pretty good. I like that one a lot, um, but I was thinking, uh, let me, let me, let me just clarify. When I said historically yeah. accurate, I meant tactically, like this happened and this happened and this is where it happened. Oh, so yeah. They were like, yeah. So like, like within each of those, he creates a narrative based on one or two central characters, right? That's where we landed. This is when we landed. And then we flew, you know, we dropped in here and, and we went into that village and we got shot up. And so all of that was, all the tactical stuff was accurate. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a scene in Saving Private Ryan where they're all talking about, and, and I think the, the point of the scene is to show that the average American soldier understood, and there's a big difference between World War II and other campaigns, is that the average American soldier understood what objectives they were trying to take and why and what they were doing there. They were like, we're here. You know, we got to take St. Lowe because St. Lowe relieves the pressure on St. Mariglise and this town links up to this. And then we get Cherbourg and that's a big port. And we're trying to beat the Germans because the Germans are bad. You know, whereas in Vietnam, everybody was just kind of walking around and it was unclear what the heck they were ever yeah. supposed to try what to we, accomplish. What are, we, yeah. what are we doing here? Yeah. Go ahead. Although we, we had, I think... I think we could we could argue that that recently maybe as our as because the movies that were made by that have lasted like I said Deer Hunter Platoon all these they were written by people who were adamantly against the war you know Coppola was against the war um, uh, uh, what's his name the Dip Platoon was in the war uh, Oliver, Charlie Sheen, Oliver Stone uh, Oliver Stone right Charlie Sheen actually I mean that's his kind of biography and and. So these people were firm, you know, fervently against the war. And it was shown at a time when, you know, the majority of the opinion was against the war. Right. And so, but like we were soldiers came out 15 years ago, maybe, maybe longer than that. The Mel Gibson movie, <laughs> it, yeah. it was a while back, but it was, it was a popular movie. And, and, um, and it was, it was a bit of a rah-rah. Now it, 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 what it tried to do is it tried to separate that one, battle from the rest of it and it tried to put it in context at the end like oh great now they're going to think they're going to win and they're going to come back you know but it was arguably much more positive you know pro-america soldier type of stuff all i'm saying is that as the memory fades of how terrible it was maybe people get to write a new narrative and it could be a bit more rah-rah or something. I'm not, I'm not saying they should or anything. I'm just wondering if that's what happens. I, I, I was thinking that definitely the historical memory of the Vietnam war has become the Oliver Stone narrative of the Vietnam yeah. war. That's how, if you talk to my daughter, she's 20, she's never, never spent a lot of time with anybody that fought in the Vietnam war, certainly didn't live through it. When she talks about it, she sounds like one of these people from the sixties, you know, all of the Oliver Stone types, you know, the whole war was a debacle. We were just there to murder a bunch of people and stuff like that. And it's just like a, it's a very one-sided portrayal of a very big, complicated event. Um, right. And I think that that narrative has won out. I don't think that, I, I mean, because honestly, where do we get our memories of something that's so long ago now? We get it through academia because it's a sure. long time ago. Well, we're not really, that's really true. You are dealing with living memory. You can still talk to many, many people who experienced the Vietnam War firsthand. Myself, I grew up talking to quite a few people who experienced the war as Vietnamese people. So they have a completely different take on what America was doing in Vietnam than hippies from, you know, 
from a university did. They were like, mm-hmm. thank you for coming to Vietnam. Thank you for fighting the war. Like, otherwise my family would have been killed immediately. You know, like they, right. They right. Very, very different take on the North Vietnamese invading South Vietnam. But so that's, that's neither here nor there, but that's getting into a whole different war. So again, the Vietnam war is probably something we could talk up, talk about quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, well, we could. I was just kind of, kind of riffing on war movies and the whole genre, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and the genre, the genre, you know, changes depending on the war, I guess, is what, sort of what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I don't know how many movies have been made about World War II. I'm sure you could look it up and, and see, but some of them are just absolutely ridiculous. And, and uh, you know, some are slapstick comedies and some, you know, but all of them, you know, have us as the hero, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, things. Inglorious Bastards. Um, well, yeah, those are, and that's a recent one. Actually, was that it's a, a remake? No, yeah. It's a remake. remake. Yeah, but I don't, yeah, remake, I don't right. know anything. I never actually saw the remake, so I can't judge whether it's the same right. kind of film. But um, that's a whole different type of thing. And then there's like, yeah, lighter, lighter things like Monuments Man or something like that. Something very serious. Right. Like Saving right. Ryan. You know, I mean, this is an event. This event is too big for anybody to try to see it through one lens and try to say, oh, this is what happened. Here's this, here's the biggest event that ever happened in human history. And we're just going to, it's just going to have one narrative. I, I would hope nobody's dumb enough to think that, you know, that's right. just, did I ever tell you the story about my mom had an old, a German lady who was a little bit older than my mom. So this lady would have, you know, she's like maybe born in like 1930, something like that. Mm-hmm. She was at my mom's gallery and she brought in a portrait she did of her father, right? To the gallery, mm-hmm. wanted to hang it on the wall at the gallery, but she painted him in his uniform. He was in the SS. Oh, he's got geez. his hat on. He's got the he's got the death death's head and everything on everything. Oh, my mom geez. was like, my mom was like, "Are you insane?" And he, and she yeah. was like, "No, no, we were very proud of him. We didn't we didn't know anything about what about the Holocaust or anything like that. We were just very proud that he was in the military." My mom was like, <laughs> "You're nuts! Like, you got to take that home. Like, what do you think?" I don't even want that in here, much less hanging on the wall. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it was very strange. <laughs> there's a there's a skit. There's a I, I can't remember. I, I heard it on uh, heard it on, a, on another podcast. I won't mention, but um, but there's a skit on YouTube. Some <clears throat> improv troupe in England or something, and they they put up a skit, and it's uh, "Are we the baddies?" And oh it's, yeah, uh, <laughs> have you seen that? Yeah, it's the guy from uh, it's the guy from Peep Show. I can never remember his yeah. name, but I can picture. He's are like, we the baddies? are we the baddies? He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, we have a skull in our hat. <laughs> He's like, what is that? What does that mean? Who who has a skull? What 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 else could that mean? You know, there was one. Like, there was a there was a take on it. Um, there was a take on it about the Mandalorian because when they when they arrest Baby Yoda and they put him in like little tiny baby handcuffs. <laughs> and I think somebody's like, didn't one of the stormtroopers look at that and they go, we have handcuffs for babies? Are, <laughs> are we the baddies? Right, right, right. It's such a great premise. I, I love it. What um, did you think of the guy? What did you think of the guy who plays uh, Eisenhower? That was an interesting story. Uh, he, he is a yeah. dead ringer. I mean, he looks just like him. Looks, he, he really looks does. a lot like him. Yeah, yeah, he looks just like him. You know, um, I think... I don't. I think he was thinner than he looked thinner than Eisenhower did. I think Eisenhower's a little bit beefier, but I mean, Maybe. other than that, yeah. it looks exactly like him. Um, it exactly like him. I have a I have a book Crusade in Europe, and there's like a drawing of Eisenhower on the cover, and it looks just like that actor. Like exactly. Yeah, like it's amazing. <laughs> they dubbed his voice though, apparently. So I don't know what he sounds like. 
he didn't sound anything like Eisenhower, and he wasn't a very good actor. So they dubbed in his voice. So that must have been very right. difficult. He's kind of like wooden yeah. when he's delivering the dialogue. Yeah, he doesn't. But, he doesn't really do a lot of acting. He's like, "What do you think?" <laughs> and then as they talk to him, he just kind of nods his head. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. That yeah was, well, uh, in 1962, in 1962, Eisenhower would have been such a prominent figure that if you tried to have anybody play Eisenhower that didn't look like Eisenhower, yeah. everybody would have been like, "What is good?" They actually almost got Eisenhower. Yeah, they almost got him, but he was too old. And, and too old. Yeah. That was the other thing about John Wayne. So John Wayne, when he was when he played that role of the guy that he plays, the colonel, the, the airborne right. a second airborne colonel, he is twenty years older than what that guy yeah. was at Normandy, yeah. right? <laughs> so I'm like, you know, he because that that colonel was probably in his like late thirties. He wasn't in yeah. his fifties, and, uh, and I was like. I was like, uh, I'm not surprised you broke your ankle jumping out of a plane. Like <laughs> you have osteoporosis. Old. Yeah, you have osteoporosis, yeah. old man. Drink some exactly. insure and uh, and go home. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was kind of funny. Uh, what did you think about the German pilot? That's a that's a big part of the movie. That guy's funny. That guy's great. Yeah, I like that guy. It was it was awesome. Yeah, he's uh, can't remember his name, but the the, the no, subplot is just so he's so animated and he's just like you know. I can't. I can't think of any of the lines in German. I'm seeing the subtitles, but just like you know, all like, he did was all he did was <laughs> yeah. yeah. All he did is insult his superiors, and yes. there's that line. I was like, why do you why do you keep him around? Why don't you know? Why don't you court martial him or something? He's like, he shot down 56 fighters over Russia. He's you know, he's like the best yeah. ace we have, and uh, so he's relegated to Normandy with two planes and his entire squadron. You know, he's yeah. like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So. I thought uh, well, that was uh, at least those guys didn't die. That's true. No, that's true. See, that was kind of the thing. Uh, that's what. That's very much a part of what I'm talking about about the Germans being the bad guys. Is that guy's like strafing the beach and killing Allied soldiers? Yes, you're like, I know. You're watching it. You're right. watching it. You're like, this, that's his job. He's supposed right. to try and do that. He, you know, what, what right. are you going to do? Like, this guy's hilarious. You're not even really rooting against him. Right? <laughs> right. It's weird. Right. It's a weird position yeah. to be in. But well, I, you know, now, I, con- I contrasted that. that. So there's. There is a there's a couple of parts. It's an interesting thing that you bring up. So there is a part when they're storming like one of the pillboxes, right? And yeah. and they're and they're just getting cut down by the the MG40 machine gun and and uh, trying to hit it with grenades and everything else. And you contrast that with Saving Private Ryan, where they open up with a flamethrower on them, right? And they just gush, hit it with a flamethrower. And then what does the guy say? Like, don't shoot them, let them burn. As they're running out on fire, and like. You know, um, oh, yeah. so there's there's a little bit more animosity. I think I think that was probably closer to the truth. You know, during a battle, than, well, there was uh, the one part. There was the one part in this where the guys come out of the pillbox and the one oh, kid is like shooting. Like, oh, shoot him! He's like, I wonder what bitter means. Bitter. I wonder what bitter means. Yeah, bitter. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that was kind of kind of sad. Well, they did actually. They did the same thing in uh, in Saving Private Ryan. The guy comes out with his hands up. And the guy sh- and he says something, and the guy shoots him anyway. And he's like, "What do he say? What do he say?" You know. Um, so they're trying to surrender, and they shot him anyway. Um, that's a good point. I, yeah, I, that is. Oh, that's it's also in, it's also in Die Hard. He, the, Die Hard. The guy comes out. The guy comes out, and he says something. And John McClane shoots him, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I didn't catch that." And then the other <laughs> German comes out. And he's like, he said, "Don't shoot." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's the, the big, the big mean one. Yeah. Actually, I think that actor was in 
in some uh, anyway i've been watching so many movies I've, i had covid so i watched like eight movies over the last couple of days so everything's blurring together a little bit but that actor was in something i saw recently which uh, but, uh the really big guy uh no the other guy the guy that he the guy that he shoots the one that's like the one that's oh. like you know nick Sheeson, Sheeson, and he's like pow you know but anyways i was really impressed and i don't know how they did this but when the french are attacking the town wisterham there's mm-hmm. this long hand shot aerial shot somehow of the guys like running down the street the germans like a running gun battle down the street and uh-huh. it goes on like steady cam like for like a long time i'm like oh they just used a drone to get that shot but then i was like right. well, what <laughs> Yeah, what did uh, they film? How did they film that? <laughs> right. How did they do that? Like, I guess, I guess they had helicopters, or they, they had like one of those like big crane things that just kind of yeah, maybe, maybe. on but tracks. It maybe like, it looked like it would have had to be in the water. It looked like it would have had yeah. to have been in the water. That shot, I couldn't figure it out. It was, but it was a really hmm. cool shot. It was like, I know what, yeah, I know, you know which one you're talking about. Yeah. When you're, yeah. when you're a kid, you look at one of those books and they show you like the whole battle mapped out on, on the, on, on the, and you can see the battle. And it's kind of fun to figure out how the battle went. It, it was like that, but a shot of it. It was very cool. But right. anyway, I don't know. I don't know how they got that. Yeah. No, that was, that was, there a, was a, you're talking about the one at the French, right? Yeah. 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 The yeah. one with the free French from there. When they're going I think, over. The didn't they do the same thing with the bridge though? Didn't they have a shot like that with the bridge where they kind of came over it? You see them like, yeah. Fight like they're running down the bridge and shooting, and, and you just kind of see them. I think they had a, that shot. And I I seem to remember a shot like a well, those are the two that I remember, like the 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 free French one, and then the and then the bridge, the British the with strafing, the bridge. The strafing shot of the beach is pretty. I mean, the strafing I one, yeah, but that that would have been that would have been an plane? airplane. Yeah, that would have been an airplane for sure. Yeah. But oh man, it was a uh, it was a uh, I think. Well, anyway, I picked it. So I guess now it's uh, it's about time for our biggest uh, surprise. Surprises. Um, okay. Well, so for me, this is a minor thing. You were talking about they brought in Germans and French and stuff to do the dialogue. They mm-hmm. actually brought in uh, Eric Marie Remarque, the guy that wrote All Quiet on the Western Front, to do the German dialogue, to make sure the German dialogue. Oh, huh. I didn't know that. I was impressed by that. I was like, that's, that's a, that's a pretty good get. Like that's a serious literary figure coming in to do, you know, the German, that was just that's a little minor. Yeah. Yeah. But what I thought was really impressive because I, okay. So I'm, I, you know, hinted at this before, but Richard Burton shows up and you're like, what's this guy doing in the movie? He seems yeah. like over overacting like crazy, really taking a lolly air out of the room just by being Richard Burton, you know? Yeah. yeah. I was looking at that and I realized what it was is, Roddy McDowell was on the same film. They were both filming Cleopatra, I think, in uh, Egypt, somewhere else in North Africa, anyway. And they had nothing to do for like weeks on end. So Richard Burton called up the director of, of this movie and told him he'd come and he'd do a couple of scenes for free just because he was bored. So him and Roddy <laughs> McDowell flew over, filmed a couple of extra scenes that they just tossed into the movie and then went home. Just they did a couple of like a couple of days of work for free on the movie. So that's why Richard Burton seems kind of thrown in there you know he has good so scenes funny. so did they write those in for them those scenes or did they yeah. or were yeah. those scenes already written and they put them in there uh it seemed like they just wrote them for him because except that he does run it well okay so he runs into the west side story guy i can't remember the actor's name uh richard yes. Beimer, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah run into him 
And that guy's story gets kind of tied up by that scene. Maybe originally, I bet what it was is his character probably shot the German with the boots on the wrong feet. Because they, yeah. they lay this for the boots on the wrong feet early in the movie, and then they sort yeah. of didn't do anything with it. And then he shows yeah, right, up right, right, right. I bet it was just going to be him with that guy. But, you know, yeah, I think they kind of worked with I think if Richard Burton wants to be in your movie in 1962. Right, right. So my, my, my biggest surprise is that Richard Todd guy. Okay. So Richard, Richard Todd plays the, uh, the major who takes the bridge and has to hold until he, he's, he relieves hold himself. Right. Hold until relieves, yes. So Richard Todd actually was there on that bridge. Oh, wow. Um, he he wasn't he wasn't one of the um, that he, he wasn't one of the guys that came in on the glider. He was. Do you remember when Peter Lawford runs up with all the commandos, the paratrooper commandos, and they and they you know they're the reinforcements. So he, he helped. Lawford is. I can I don't know who any. He, he's exactly. he's the one. He's the one with the cool beret and the white turtleneck. Like he he's the only guy oh, that yeah, had a yeah, uniform. That, oh, you that's know, actually, like that's actually a really cool outfit. I was thinking I might yeah. want to get that. Really so so exactly. he uh, <laughs> right so. So he, he's actually there. So Richard Todd was a lieutenant in those commandos. So he, parachu- he, he parachuted in and then relieved that guy's John Howard, Major John Howard, uh, is who yeah. Richard Todd plays. So Richard Todd relieves Major John Howard from the bridge. He was the relief, hold until relieved. He was yeah. the relief. And then they, fought the, then they fought the Germans back and held the bridge until more reinforcements showed up. So I thought it was so cool that Richard Todd actually was there on that bridge, met uh, Major Howard, who he did, then portrayed. And uh, one of the cool little pieces of trivia was that he, that, so they're all wearing, you know, uh, berets. British are really big into berets for their special forces. Okay. Uh, so he's wearing a beret in the movie. That was actually his beret that he wore on D-Day. So that's oh, wow. like a, his real beret. And the only change he made is he took the crest off of it, like the real crest that he had, and he put the mm-hmm. crest of uh, Major John Howard on it instead. Other than that, nice. it, was, it, was, it was a real break. So I thought, I was like, wow, that is so cool. It's like full circle, you know? So you yeah. go in the Army, do all this great stuff in World War II, you get out, you become an actor, and then you end up acting in the same thing that you did in, in the war. It's kind of neat. Um, yeah, that's, that's nuts. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. I thought that was a cool part. So now it's all up to you, man. It's in your hands. Capable hands yeah, of uh, MacArthur. I mean, for the sake of drama, I'd like to play devil's advocate, I guess, and sure. try to argue. Find it's a, it was a huge success. It's a huge, fun war. It's a war movie that's still good to watch today. You know, I mean, it'd be anachronistic to complain about some of the little things, like the, uh, the you know, the when people die, it's pretty bloodless, which is a little... You watch that today and you're like, did that guy just die? Why did that guy die? He just grabbed his chest and fell over. <laughs> right, fell over. You know, because like Steve Steven Spielberg does not do that. Now that's right. because he's trying very carefully today. You would never make him see. I think this movie was criticized at the time for being pro-war. And I suppose, and in as much as it can be, yeah, I guess it probably would be. So I mean, you just wouldn't do that today. You wouldn't make a Hollywood big movie and make it completely rah-rah. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. I mean, it's just the docudrama feel of it, getting everybody together and what they did with the locations and, and working in the actual information for the film. And I don't know. It's a pretty good movie. So, I mean, I, I would definitely I would definitely drink to it. So, All right. Cool. So we're toasting it. Yep. Cheers. All right. Well, cheers. Well, I feel like fun. one of those guys 
I feel like one of those guys that used to call baseball games in the uh, in the forties oh, on the radio. They, they hit together, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Playing, you know? It's a home run, clack. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, all right. That's cool. That. Well, that was fun, man. That was uh, that was yeah. a good time. So next, we're going to do. Next, we're going to do stop making sense. The, stop making uh, sense. We're going to try to do that next week. I think, right? Documentary. Yeah, yeah. I'm up okay. for it. I'm, I'm all ready to go. I, I, I watched okay. it and everything. So very cool. I think we'll be drinking. Did I say? Did we come up with anything? You did. Uh, I you, did? Yeah, you, well, you came oh, up with, yes, yes, came up with yes, bourbon. Yes, bourbon. Right, right, right. Bourbon. Because uh, apparently David Byrne likes bourbon to some extent. So Well, it's yeah, tough. We'll, we'll talk about the bourbon that he likes, too, and why we're not drinking that. So, Is it expensive? Oh, it's I told you. I told, I told you. Obscure, esoteric, you know, some weird thing. Well, that's appropriate. That's appropriate. It's, it's very appropriate. Like I said, he's... The first of the hipsters, so I would say he's a proto hipster, yeah. So yeah, all right. Very, well, very I think so. we're, uh, I think we're done with the longest day. Uh, we will reconvene next week, and we'll send you, uh, we'll send everybody out there and toast in the classics land, um, the Talking Heads version. That's so, right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, for toasting the classics, I'm Dave MacArthur. I'm Clint Lanier. And uh, I guess we're gonna see you guys next time. Peace out. Wrap it up. Bye. That's it for episode 58 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some indie bourbon, the more eclectic and hard to find the better, for our discussion of the 1984 Talking Heads concert film Stop Making Sense. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know your favorite John Wayne movie. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Thank you.